From 11FS, I'm Sam Mall, and this is FinTech Insider News. Today we bring you big bank investments into saving programs, Venmo trialing rewards program, and Morehouse College graduates' student loans to be paid off by a billionaire not named Donald Trump. Welcome to episode 325 of FinTech Insiders. I'm in charge today for this show, even though David's sitting next to me and he can't wait to get on the mic. We are in New York City. We've been here all week. We are an hour away from running to planes and going home. David, this week has been nuts. It's been crazy. Kind of nonstop meeting super, super interesting people. Spoke at a really interesting conference earlier on in the week for IBM, which was good. And yeah, we just had a lot of fun. I kind of possibly eaten my entire body weight in kind of subway sandwiches which is kind of cool but uh other than that just had a lot of good times yeah i'm on a diet i'm not supposed to be eating bread and uh thanks to zoe we've eaten bread every i'm blaming zoe we've eaten sandwiches the size of wisconsin every day i need to go home and and go on a fast um we've got great guests with us um good friends of the show um, and actually, um, one of them, I think, was on like one of the first five. Yeah, I'm not it's mistaken. Like episode two or three, like back in the UK. This yeah. is weird. This is the legendary Anna Irera. Hey, I'm back. He's back yet again. Your job, you're with Reuters? Yes. And you, give us the beautiful job title. So I'm FinTech correspondent and then I'm team leader for financial companies. She's the team leader, the A team leader. And then we have Ian Carr. Ian, I love this. Oh, here's what I put down. Product consultant extraordinaire. I appreciate that. Thanks. Are you going to go with that? And thanks for having me, guys. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Uh, that's what I'm up to now. It's very exciting working with a couple crypto companies, a couple media companies. So a lot of fun. Ian always has his hands in just about everything, especially when it comes to New York. He's one of the most well-connected people. I was going to say, I'm a little life. disappointed you guys didn't get pasta while you're here. Next time you have to let me know. So I'll take you to some good well, pasta. No, actually, we're at uh, City... <laughs> Um, and we were standing online, I think that was yesterday, the day before, yeah. with David, and David lo- looked at me and he goes, what's Stromboli? And when I went, stop, don't do that. This don't is killing me. This, this conversation, I grew up in sure, Jersey, I'm right? Sure, so. I'm sure there's pretty good pasta in London. I don't want to be the Italian who steps in and intervenes on quality <laughs> of pasta are. in this discussion, but I'm sure they can find like lots of Italians who make good pasta. Okay, we're, we're veering way too long on food. We're going to call this the food segment, I mean, I mean, we did that early. I was I, Even for me, that was a segue very quickly. But. Right to the food. Yeah. All right, our first story. Um, and it's all about J.P. Morgan Chase. Chase is going to invest $125 million in programs to encourage people to save money. So this, they're going to invest this $125 million over the next five years to nonprofit groups in the U.S. and abroad that help people save, pay down debt, and improve their credit scores. The initial investment from seven grants worth between $300,000 and $1 million to nonprofits are going to operate in Miami, London, San Diego, and Boston. That's an interesting mix, by the way. Um, Their spokesman said the main theme is really understanding how do we actually improve people's financial health, moving beyond knowing how to save more to actually saving more. They've already committed more than 800 million grants, donations, and loans to urban centers and renewal like Paris, my hometown of Detroit, and Chicago. So, um, Anna, if I'm not mistaken, this was a Reuters (laughs) article, and I think probably someone on your team that did this. Is this a publicity stunt? Is this a real deal? Are you impressed? So I, I didn't speak to them. Let me start with with that. Um, I guess I, I guess they're. I mean, they are giving them money. I mean, they've said it now, so there has to be something um, concrete. I'm always a bit um, skeptical. Oh, which is so uncharacteristic of me, uh, but no, I wow. <laughs> <laughs> but Anna. Um, I mean, my question is, why aren't they helping the, their clients save themselves? 
sometimes I wonder that. I, I, there's a this big trend with banks to use the term financial wellness and financial health and so forth. And often I'm not saying that their clients are unwell because of them, but certainly some of their practices don't help, hmm. um, like crazy overdraft fees. So, you know, maybe they, if they like lowered their overdraft fees, they'd help solve the problem very quickly without having to give money to someone else to help. But, you know, better this than nothing, I guess. I think that's interesting. Is it? A, is this like a CSR thing? You know, is this them trying to sort of tick a box? What, also, what's urban renewal? Because it sounds like a... Sounds like a Ministry of Sound album. <laughs> it's actually uh, urban rules like Detroit, right? Where I grew up right. taking neighborhoods which have just um, really fallen to the side and right. gotten ignored and putting money into those zones. To kind of rehabilitate yeah, the, uh, the local environment and the culture yeah. there. Right. Then that, I know J.P. Morgan did a lot of uh, investments in Detroit a couple of years ago. So yeah. I think this is kind of uh, piggybacking on that. Um, so yeah, I think from on my from my perspective, it's kind of interesting, right? I think Anna uh, touched upon it. Like these they ha- these banks have these practices that sort of go against these ideas around financial wellness and financial empowerment, and then these sort of 125 million dollars for a company like J.P. Morgan is like five bucks for you and me, right? So how much you know, impact is this going to have? And I think going back to the point of like, why don't they do this for their clients? It's actually a pretty difficult challenge. I think people, what what's interesting is that people are behaviorally separate, on like the education part of understanding how to save money and then the action part. So I can read articles to like, I'm dead about like how to save money and what stocks to invest in. But bridging that gap between the actual part is really difficult and just lead. And it's, it's pretty friction heavy process. So I used to work at Acorns and we really uh, prioritize making it really, really easy for people to uh, make actionable uh, decisions based on, uh, you know, the content that we, we did and stuff like that and the projects. Uh, so I think, you know, it's, it's a great, it's great for their brand. I mean, it's great, you know, for the, for the overall um, company and, you know, to show that they kind of care about these kind of stuff. But I wonder, you know, the actual impact that it'll have. Who, correct me if I'm wrong, I know one of you read this. Was it Michael Corbett at City that said he loses sleep at night thinking about the underserved? Everyone's staring at me. On, I swear to God, I'm going to look no, 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 that up. Right, I know I'm right. right. He yeah. did. Yeah, yeah, he did. Did he? Yeah, yeah. he did. Wait, wait, wait. This needs to be a video because if you could just see <laughs> your face right now. I, this is why I love you on panels, by the way. When someone says something, Anna's bullshit meter just goes bing. I mean, they've, the, the banks have been deliberately and, and they haven't hidden. They've been de-risking and just like they, they've been shutting away clients that have less money because they're less profitable and it's just not worth it since the crisis. And yeah. they've said that they would do it. So... I, so I don't know why they're losing sleep over the underserved. Like they're they, they're not serving them. It's not like you know you have accounts here where you can't unless you have a minimum balance. It's it, the charges are too expensive for someone um, in the lower middle class. I mean, there's all these practices that are quite insane and quite counter intuitive and it's not like anyone's hiding it. It's not like the banks are saying, oh yeah, we're definitely going after the underserved. They're not, and they've actually gone after them less yeah. so well that, that's the thing that's why for me this feels like a like I say it feels like corporate social responsibility kind of investment it's like maybe somebody's put 125 million in to allow them to sleep honestly uh, this reminded me of something sweet green announced recently they uh announced like i think five months of paid family uh leave for uh for people who have kids and i feel like it's that kind of like sort of aspect of it where it's like kind of like you said, like social responsibility and like making sure that they're involved in these kind of endeavors. But 
on a product and like actual impact for their customers, I don't necessarily see that, you know, translated in that sense. Yeah, giving you the feedback as a, a Detroit boy, that's a, that's a journey song. Just a city boy. <laughs> Born and raised in South Detroit. Oh, wow. That's my karaoke song. Y'all kiss my ass. It's, it's the, first, um, the first edit where we've had to auto-tune as well. <laughs> but um, it's interesting in Detroit. So we talk about Chase and the money that was invested there. About a year and a half ago, I interviewed. Detroit's the only major city in the U.S. to have a, a chief storyteller. His name's Aaron Foley, hired by the mayor to tell the stories of Detroit because it's been such flight, people leaving there, and different neighborhoods going. And one of the things they've seen with Stuff like this. One, it's great. And the other, it's gentrification, and you lose the personality of those neighborhoods and the people that live there. There's some resentment that actually comes up. It's a very tough balance to get to two right. So it's, I, I kind of get it. And to be quite frank, I think a lot, there's a lot of skepticism from the people in the underbanked about these big banks and these, and these brands, because I mean, the financial crisis of 2008 and just what's been happening since, which has really been nothing, no focus on, you know, creating financial products to help these people. And I think when they kind of see these sort of announcements, they like, kind of brush it off it is like oh you know sounds cool but nothing's gonna happen you know right. i mean i don't know if they even see the yeah <laughs> that's fair. like i'd hope yeah. that they don't but the, i mean like the simple thing is even i don't know if the urban renewal programs include opening a branch but the simple fact of opening a branch in some of the neighborhoods even in new york that that might have immensely more impact than giving money to someone else you know david to build on what she's talking about i love i love that you brought that up in detroit where, where i grew up and escaped from when i was 17 Within the city limits, and this used to be one of the largest cities in the U.S., and, and in the 30s, the richest city in the U.S., not a single chain grocery store in the city limits. None. Not wow. a one, not a Kroger, not a Publix, not a Farmer Jack, nothing. So a lot of payday loan vendors, but nothing like that. Not even a Starbucks, and it's changed, but there wasn't a Starbucks within the city limits. Is that what Detroit. they're going to do with this money? Like 125 million to put Starbucks in all the cities? No, we're we're going to do a whole show on Detroit. <laughs> Actually, I think that uh, there's a really interesting program that they announced where a lot of uh, people who get like uh, you know uh, aid from the government for uh, that are below the poverty line can now use their aid to buy groceries from Amazon. Actually, oh, that's pretty cool. I wonder yeah. if they. Have an, a card or an account. I ha- yeah, I think they set up some sort of system. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, Excellent. actually interesting. Yeah. I'll have to look into that. All right, let's move on to our next story. This is about Plaid. And for our UK listeners, Plaid. Plaid gives digital banks and fintech a new tool to bypass traditional finance. This was in CNBC. Um, in all fairness, uh, uh, Plaid is really good friends with 11FS. We love the team. We've done quite a bit of interviews over there. So venture capital backed Plaid announced a product Wednesday that lets popular financial applications link between themselves instead of routing back to a traditional bank account. Plaid Direct lists apps like Venmo, Wealthfront, Acorns, or Betterment plug in directly to each other if they want to and bypass the banks. It's especially useful for so-called challenger banks like Chime. I love that in this article they called it so-called challenger also, banks. Also because what I found interesting is Chime doesn't have a banking license, so they're not bypassing any bank. bank. <laughs> yeah. So, oh. so it was kind of like, um, hmm. Right, that that non-bank that's using a bank to offer banking. Yeah, services. <laughs> yeah. I think I tweeted this, but I it was like it's pretty easy nowadays to make a challenger bank. You know, it's not that it's with all the infrastructure, like all these different partnerships. You know, but you uh, tweeted. I know this is an unpopular opinion, but it's pretty easy to do a challenger bank. I think so. I mean, if you have the capital, you mm-hmm. know, if you if you get if you can raise money, there are all these different companies like Plaid and these sort of announcements. There are tons of different bank partners. There's an interesting company called Camber uh, that's focusing on API third party. APIs and things like that. Um, that's actually based in London, I think. Um, so yeah, there are a lot of different interesting companies that are doing these sort of 
interesting initiatives to kind of it just enable the connections between uh, all these sort of companies. I think this makes complete sense. First of all, um, I'm a huge Plaid, Plaid fan, so I definitely want to lead with that. But uh, I think that uh, consumers are really wanting this sort of feature. I think that they don't really want to move their money into their bank, in and out of their bank. I think they prefer using a company like Acorns or a company like Robinhood and then sending it to another digital bank, whatever that may be, right? Um, if that's your primary bank, I mean, that would make sense, right? Because then that adds friction into the process of moving money. It would have to go from my Acorns account to my bank into my Chime account, which is just annoying. I'm curious about- But is about, it their okay. primary account though? That's the yeah. question. Like, are that, they getting their paycheck on Acorns? Probably not. So uh, the get, bank still- I get my paycheck. I used to get my paycheck in Chime. Used to. Okay. Yeah. I used to. Now I get it in Square. But you, but <laughs> I think we always have to remember that in these circles, it's kind of like not the standard yeah, user, we're not, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a <laughs> so. very, it's a very targeted demographic, and it's uh, one that's generally in their early, early to late twenties, um, and generally ones that you know use a lot of financial apps. I mean, I think that the idea is that these companies want to be the top of co- the main card, and this is a really great stepping stone to making that happen. So I want David to react to your tweet, though. So the the comment that. It's pretty easy to do a challenger bank. I mean, sure. I think putting in place the technology is one thing. I think creating a product and a brand that people actually care about is is kind of another. So um, definitely the, the functionality is easy. Like we're doing it, right? It's uh, it's a pretty simple sort of straightforward thing. I think the interesting thing on this, in, uh, particularly for, I guess, in, in the US, it's like this is like another nail in the coffin of universal banking, right? If nobody's actually going to... Or a you know significant or even a uh, you know a, a, just a, a reasonable size of people start using this type of capability, and you stop seeing your customers actually coming to your. Uh, your websites, your internet banking platforms, your ability to cross-sell and upsell is done. Uh, Anna, I'm curious. What's this do? Is this like a challenge to Zelle? This? I don't think so. Uh, Yeah, I don't think so either. Somebody actually tweeted that and I went, Yeah, I think I I actually, I I think I was a part of that thread. My buddy and I were kind of confused about whether this actually moves the funds. Um, This does not. Um, so I think that's basically what uh, what they said. So once that happens, that'll be really interesting. They can figure out how to move money uh, move money around as well. Um, I think I, I tweeted at Charlie and saying that that, that was a personal quest that I had. Um, but I think that uh, I think that yeah, I don't think it's a competitor to Zelle. Yeah, I don't. Either. But if 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 Plaid starts moving money, then it becomes a completely different type of company, yes, right? And the, a company that I don't think they want to the, be. No, personally. Well, I, I mean, I can ask them about it, you know. <laughs> well, and actually, the the requirements around, you know, fundamentally at that point, we're talking about open banking, right? You know, and this is a yeah. that's a very very different thing. The the um, liability of actually the moving moving of money at that point, and the regulation that that actually, uh, you know, the uh, licensing that that actually need at that stage is very different. But uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's that direction, right? Yeah. yeah. The only reason I made that request is because from a product perspective, that's one of the big challenges that yeah. you know uh, people like myself and a lot of the companies face uh, when trying to figure out how to actually make a financial product the money movement in and out of an app is a really big friction point for users and they don't want to play they don't want to like deal with it anymore well like you say from a consumer's perspective it becomes such a you you know it's like this lovely well-crafted experience and then if you want to do anything about it you've got to go jump back into that janky exactly yeah Yeah. and it's it's a it's a nightmare and uh and you know from a user perspective it's just really really annoying and uh 
and it, and I think what ends up happening is that the consumers end up blaming the digital banks and not the big big uh, banks, and that's because I think these big brands do have a decent amount of equity, uh, whether it's. Uh, you know, just because of, you know, that they're established and things like that. They've been around for centuries, probably. And uh, so they tend to blame these uh, sort of startups. And that causes a lot of, you know, user happiness and user experience related uh, concerns, too. Well, that's one of my favorite things about Plaid. Um, cause I, rem- I, I always give this story a bunch of years ago, talking in San Francisco in a dive bar and hearing the pitch for Plaid and me looking at Zach Parrott and going, that's really cute. It's aggregating. Good <laughs> luck. And now they're worth two point. Seven million valuation. We're going to move right past this story because I look like a loser every time I I talk about it. I heard a podcast about with him and uh, David Haber talking about uh, just the fundraising process of when they were starting a plaid, and they were like, literally, no one understood what we were trying to do. And it's fascinating to kind of think about it in that context now. Everybody looking at me go, yodely. All right. (laughs) Uh, Transferwise. Let's talk about Transferwise a little bit. And I titled this section Transferwise Kicks Ass. Uh, article in TechCrunch, where TransferWise, a London-based international money transfer service, is disclosing a new $292 million secondary round. These investors value the company at $3.5 billion. That's double the valuation TransferWise achieved in late 2017 at the time of its $280 million Series E round. Um, not bad. Damn, that's a lot of money, right? Pretty casual, right? Uh, I guess, um, did you guys see the, the tweet from Oak North where it was like they, they loved for three months being the highest valued fintech in Europe? <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but, uh, I mean, uh, TransferWise seem like they're kind of OGs of this stuff, right? They've been around forever just sort of plugging away. I, I, I've heard a lot of kind of conversations around sort of diversification of what they do, but I'm I'm not sure I've really seen them do a lot lately. They're, they're doing, the, they have the, the account, right? The borderless account, yeah. which I think... The debit card is something that a lot of uh, my friends and I who travel abroad are very, very excited about. Um, so that's pretty interesting. Uh, I, I mean, from from here in the U.S., definitely. Because, yeah. like, you know, the restrictions around getting money in and out. I mean, <laughs> Sam will tell you some stories at some point, I'm sure. But that's a real yeah. difficulty. But, like, in Europe, it's actually not that big a deal to pay money to France or I mean, Spain or whatever. You know? I guess the point is if they just do what they're doing at scale very well, they don't, do they really need to diversify that much? I don't know. It always seems like a missed opportunity. You know, doing something really well gives you the funding to do something else better and expand out. Because I, I think it's almost the, if you look at all the, like, the Revoluts, the transferwises, et cetera, like the beachhead is almost creating a business model that they can then reinvest in to do more stuff. Um, which, if I'm, if I'm honest with you, if I was running one of these companies, I'd be looking less for VC money and more for profitability, really. I yeah. mean, they didn't raise the money themselves here, right? Like, no. this is just a secondary was, shares. So, so, so they told me, so I, I spoke um, to Christo for this and he was saying you know they've been profitable for a while which is not something to take for granted no, in tech and also if you're backed by like big VCs in tech who probably don't care that you do um, and they didn't really need the money and so they did this which I think is quite laudable I guess yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it kind of ties back to the people who sort of backed them in the first place right in terms of where they're going so that 
that does well, make sense. Well, actually, it's really for the employees. Um, these, uh, this is a, uh, sec- a secondary share offering, right? So uh, that really, uh, in, it really helps the employees kind of cash out. Um, I think that's a big issue that um, a lot of these, I think, later stage uh, tech companies in general are facing. Um, so by offering this uh, to their employees and kind of uh, you know giving them some cash, I think they can kind of punt on uh, going public and. Uh, focus on you know things like increasing the profitability and things like that. Yeah, the employee side, I was actually surprised by this. They employ more than sixteen hundred people, mm-hmm. which for a fintech is like hundred fifty more yeah. loads. I mean, that's like a hundred thousand in in real world. <laughs> so it's really interesting. I also wanted to point out that, you know, I think the remittance space is going to get really competitive very quickly over the next year. Uh, yeah, it already I mean, is. I think. Uber has yeah. an e-money license in the Netherlands. Facebook just announced, Facebook just filed for a Libra Networks company in Geneva, Switzerland. I think that there's a lot of, and that's Libra is around their uh, crypto project. I think that a lot of these companies are looking at remittance as a way, they're, they're global for tech companies, right? So it's a really good way to keep a global audience, not just say a North American or a European audience or something like that engaged and using the product. I think the, the, the fundamental thing is that this is still financial services. And so, you know, even some fintechs, uh, you mentioned like, you know, Revolut, some fintechs are having problems with compliance and they're fintechs. So in theory, they're a bit more fin than tech. So I'm, and considering all the issues that Facebook has on, on its own now with, maybe breaking democracy like i wonder if it's it. if there's any if, if you know getting into global remittances and global payments is like a step that's gonna make them really like in a, in a put them in a position where they're like really under the lens right imagine like you know all the types i mean they don't have to scrutinize people to make sure they're not a terrorist when they join their platform right like now they have to do that check to make sure they're not sending like crypto to each other. I mean, it's it's just another level of complexity yeah. adding to the complexity that yeah. they've already that they've now suddenly discovered that their platform has mm-hmm. seems like such a massive. Yeah, it's a big, big step up. Right? Yeah, I I have uh, the Facebook crypto stuff has been really interesting to me. Um, the Visa, I mean, they're apparently raising a billion dollars from like Visa and First Data for this project, and they, each so, and a couple other companies. So. It's it will be really interesting to see what happens. I mean, David Marcus grew up in Geneva. He, he's leading the project, so it might be really interesting to see what whether that plays any like whether the Swiss financial regulations there play play into any like uh, play any role or something like that. That's the David Marcus PayPal, David Marcus to Facebook to everything else. Let's move on to a, to this next story. It's actually one that right before the show, Ian threw my way because if you knew Ian, you'd go, okay, that's an Ian thing. Like literally five minutes before the show, he was like, <laughs> we got to talk about this. Venmo, 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 Venmo. Venmo is going to trial a rewards program. Um, a tweet that came out, I think, on the 15th of May. You want to dive into this a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, a buddy of mine sent over an email and uh, looks like they it's a feature pretty heavily on their uh, FAQ page. Uh, they're testing some new uh, rewards program for the, for the month of June. Um, it's 5% cash back at eligible restaurants, up to $20. Um, 5% cash back at select merchants, including like Kroger's and Walgreens and Trader Joe's 5% cash back on, uh, grocery purchases, 1% cash back on everything else and $10 every time you pay your bills, which is very fascinating to me. Um, I've been running a lot of user research surveys around, uh, Gen Z and their consumer insights and, uh, their financial behaviors. And, in, uh, I think 50, 
75% of them said they wanted a bill pay feature instead of a debit card, another debit card rather. Uh, bill payment seems to be a really, really interesting space and it, it's pretty complex. Um, rewarding people to, uh, first of all, debit card rewards is a really interesting strategy. I mean, Square Cash has been doing it for, I think, eight months now. So they're, you know, Venmo's a little bit behind on that sense. Um, but I mean, it's a good, it's a step in the right direction. Uh, I think that, um, I mean, it'll, it'll, it'll be, it'll remain to see how well users are adopting this feature. Uh, the main reason people roll out rewards cards is to increase transaction volume. So if that happens, then we can probably see a lot more rewards coming down. Yeah, I'll be real curious about this. And maybe it's just because I'm old. The only thing I use Venmo for is to give money to my kids. I just must really be old. I've uh, never I, used it for anything other than that. I mean, I have like a hundred bucks in my Venmo balance right now. So if like, you know. Is some, that your slush fund? Is I mean, like, it's just like money? a, fu I mean, like people just pay me back for dinner last week. You know, like that's pretty much it. And uh, so, I mean, just sitting there. So if it's like, so for instance, Uber has a pay with Venmo feature, right? So right. if I'm like, oh, okay, I get some, like Seamless does some 5% discounts and things like that. That's the only way it's going like, to get me to use pay with Venmo or my Venmo disc uh, or my Venmo debit card. I'm not going to really use it otherwise. And, and is that not completely the point of this? You know, like trying to get people into using bills is is basically trying to create behavior, isn't it? And, yeah. You know, Repeatability. Try to make money out of Venmo. I think that's the main thing mm -hmm. that PayPal has been trying to do since, yeah. they, since they bought Braintree, which had bought Venmo. Yeah. But it's, saying that, it's big though, right? They've got a big community. It's just yeah. 40 million. Doesn't are make people money. using it for they a real reason? They money too. It's like not like they're like close to profitability from what I mean. I don't think they're yeah, making yeah, like that's any. That's all I've ever heard is yeah. that it's a... Um, I mean, it's a fascinating product. I think that there's a lot of potential there. I mean, the distribution of 40 million users is no joke. And I think that is what's really compelling. If they can figure out something to help with the profitability side of things, then they, it could be, I mean, they're, they're not going away anytime soon. Mm. They're going to keep growing and growing. I think the thing that they need to worry about is strong competition from Square Cash. That team is absolutely killing it. I think this uh, cash boost program is really, really interesting. I think the uh, Bitcoin stuff around uh, being able to fluidly and easily buy Bitcoin is a really interesting stepping stone. I think that that team is uh, on a tear. I'm very uh, excited to see like what they do next. Wait, what? You can buy Bitcoin mm -hmm. through Square Cash? Yep. Okay. David's downloading an app, even as we speak. <laughs> not. No, no, I'm definitely not doing that. <laughs> not even close and to the, it. The debit card is very nice, too. It's like a, you know, uh, black, like, you know, pretty heavy card. It doesn't really feel like a debit card. Venmo's is like light blue and plastic. It, like, doesn't really... The yeah. Square one's the one with your name written on the front of it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I do remember that. It's a I nice mean, looking... I mean, it looks, it looks cool. It's my main It's my yeah. main debit card. I get my uh, paychecks into there. They have a debit, yeah. debit cool direct deposit feature. I mean, I use it all the time. I love that we're on a fintech show when we're talking about plastic cards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like I'm back in my 20s again, um, which was a long freaking time ago. Um, one more story before we go to break. Uh, from China to Brazil and revenue to funding, I, I, I'm personally becoming fascinated with Brazil and what's happening down there when it comes to fintech and, and the companies that are coming up there. So this is an article in Crunchbase that venture funding in Brazil soared to $1.3 billion in 2018. And that, that's an explosion. That's nearly two-thirds of all venture money raised in Latin America in the entire year, 52% more than the $859 million invested in 2017. And I love this stat, a 369% increase from the $275 million raised in 2016. That is phenomenal growth. That's what we saw happening in Asia a Especially few years considering that they're not doing so great in terms of like – in like economic stability. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, they're going through, for if listeners aren't familiar, um, <laughs> following the trend of, of Britain and the U.S., 
um, interesting politics yeah. that are taking but, but place. But even before then, right? They oh, had yeah. all the issues with corruption and then, yeah. you know, it's they were... It's fascinating. I mean, Nubank is, I think, the biggest challenger bank in the world, um, if, if, if I'm not mistaken, in terms of, uh, I think that it, a chart that I saw and from Business Insider had them listed at like 5 million uh, user accounts, so they're one of the bigger ones. I mean, it's fascinating that they can... They just expanded to Mexico too, uh, which is I think one of the first. They're they're opening an office. That's it. They yeah, have yeah, a launch. Yeah. yeah, Isn't that always the the yeah, but press release that goes out? Exactly. Expanding I mean, to launching an office yeah. and launching a bank, I think takes. Did you write that article? Some of Reuters article. Yeah, I remember reading it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if it was in Reuters and it has yeah, yeah. fintech, so just I usually assume it's on it. We all. Wasn't me, but yeah. I'm curious. When you write, do you make the faces too? Yes, sometimes I do. I'm like skeptical. Yes. So by the way, I want to point out that Brazil's not just big in fintech; they're big in tech in general. Uh, Right. Paulo is the second biggest uh, uh, city for Uber, or top five city for Uber according to their S1. I mean, it's because they're big in general as a country. I think in Latin America. I was going to say, how many people are in Brazil? Like, it's a massive population. But it was. yeah. I think it's it's the biggest it's the biggest economy in Latin America. Yeah. I think it was when I was working there. So this is a while back. It was the seventh largest, I think. Wow. Yeah. In you the worked world. There? Yeah. Yeah. So I think I did not know that. When was yeah, this? Twenty twelve. Yeah. So so I think. Yeah. Oh, revelation. Yeah. So and and I remember. So I'm I was making faces at their giant in tech because I remember when I was there. And and, and to be fair, I was in Rio, so I was in Sao Paulo. I did a story about how you know they were trying to turn it into Silicon Beach. Um, and as far as I know, I'm not sure that happened. And it was right before, like I, when I got there, was peak bricks. So it's like, oh, they're gonna take over the world. And then after, it was like, oh, I guess they're not because they haven't solved all their structural problems, right? So. So, I mean, it's really interesting that funding has grown so massively. Maybe it just took a bit longer. Well, on that funding side, I, sh- I should read this bullet point from Laura, our producer. SoftBank unveiled that, that, that one. SoftBank unveiled plans for a $5 billion SoftBank Innovation Fund, the largest ever technology fund focused exclusively on the fast-growing Latin American market. And once SoftBank approaches, a lot of people come running. I love SoftBank. They're, they're so funny. Yeah. Hey, uh, 11FS, SoftBank, feel free to... Give us a call. We'd love I, to chat. I don't. I don't even know what SoftBank are anymore. It's like the Borg. Their goal is to literally throw paint at the wall. See what see what sticks. Yeah, something's going to stick. It's not bad. It's not like a terrible strategy if you have a very very long term outlook. But but this is interesting for those guys because SoftBank's usually quite late rounds. Stuff, right. right. That's what's, that's what's compelling to me. It's where yeah. something successful will come and chuck a bunch of money at it. So, whereas this, uh, like you say, there's real infrastructural problems over there that actually I would have thought need to be fixed before you can, like, I don't even know anything about their regulation. I shrug. I'm so, with you. Is, is, is yeah. the fund Mexico or Brazil? Um, according to the notes I saw, it says Latin America, which okay. I think is funny yeah. because that's like saying Africa. Yeah. Right. But yeah. with even more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's such a. I do laugh at that term, the Latin American market, which means what? It's I like mean, the yeah. it's like the entire southern hemisphere, <laughs> like yeah. anything below. You know, the Texas, yeah, so that's a bit of a like stretch a for me. Yeah, but I mean, obviously, it's getting more and more attention. I think the money coming into Brazil and that growth rate. Again, I look back. I, I'm going to say this. I'm going to sound old. I hearken back to the charts we saw when Asia was just taking off in China. You know, um, I don't know how those numbers compare. I don't have to go back and take a look. But I, I, mean, I, I was watching Fox News last night. I saw. Oh no, God. I, I saw. <laughs> I, I, every time, every time I'm in we the US, every time I'm in the US, I just like to watch Fox News. Do you like but, want to torture yourself? Like, <laughs> no. I mean, it's just 
it's just great. It's fascinating from time. like a you know from I don't know, like a certain perspective. I understand like oh, this is interesting that people are on yeah. the TV like talking about this. But, like this. but yeah. I bring I bring it up because they had those charts. They had the China's stealing our money and our jobs <laughs> yeah. and, our, and our intellectual property. And I was just like, oh, okay, this is great. <laughs> on that note, we're taking a break. <laughs> we'll be right back. This deal sets apart. That this economy is... We need to get down to business. Yeah. We need to get down to business. Yeah. 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 The more you hear about Brexit, the less clear it all becomes. When everyone else is shouting, listen. For the clarity behind the headlines, subscribe to the Financial Times. Visit ft.com. Today, customers are demanding greater value from financial services. They expect more agility, innovation and security than ever before. Most financial institutions are held back by the shackles of closed legacy systems that limit transparency, block innovation and ignore customers' demands. Finastra has a bold vision to unlock the potential of people and business. They've created a platform for open innovation in the world of financial services with FusionFabric.cloud. Their solutions span retail, transaction lending, and treasury and capital markets on-premise and in the cloud. Start your transformation journey today with Finastra. Welcome back to Fintech Insiders from 11FS. The team will be in Amsterdam, and by the team, the the Avenger team of Lita, David, Simon, Jeff, God knows who else, and the whole media team, will be in Amsterdam at the start of June for Money 2020 Europe. Catch our own, I love this phrase, catch our own David Brayer, Jason Bates, and Lita Galiptus all doing keynotes on the big stages, and we're bringing back the effing debate. That, what are you going to debate? I'm curious. I mean, it's me versus Jason, which is going to be okay, kind I'm, of, it's going to be quite difficult given how smart that guy is. Yeah, like, I, I really feel, it's over. don't let him know that I think I'm quite worried about it, but my team's yeah. pretty damn good. So I I'm, know where my money just went. Joined by the great and good in the banking and fintech space, our team will be debating how you can win in today's banking Battlefield. Catch that on day one at 5.20 p.m. That's an odd time. And the Innovation Catalyst stage. And if that wasn't enough, we're going to be hosting Blockchain Insider Live as well as a series of interviews and the FinTech Insider shows from our stand on the expo floor. Man, by day three, you guys are going to be so dead. I'll be on the beach. Three, d- three days, Amsterdam. Oh we're going to die. Um, come and see us there. If you haven't got tickets, we got you covered. Use discount code M1911FS. That's M1911FS to get reduced price tickets, and we'll see you in Amsterdam. All right, let's get on with the show. Our next story, I actually love this story personally. This is a a piece of good news, and I think we could use it after some of these other stories. This is the New York Times, and Morehouse College graduate student loans to be paid off by a billionaire. During his commencement speech at Morehouse College in Atlanta, Robert F. Smith, the billionaire investor who founded Vista Equity Partners and became the richest black man in America, told the crowd that he and his family would pay off their entire graduating class's student loan, immediately had a statue made of him, a parade through the city, and every parent I know going, oh my God, I love you. Mr. Smith, known for a range of philanthropic donations, told the audience on Sunday that his gift was meant to be set as an example of paying forward. He didn't even tell the Morehouse administration, the employees or students in advance, and his own inner circle was shocked by the news. The total amount Mr. Smith will contribute is also unclear. That's an interesting statement. Um, Morehouse employees were calculating the total student loan debt of the 2019 graduating class was roughly $10 million in total debt. That's one, and Morehouse is not a big college, by the way, predominantly black college in Atlanta. The student debt crisis is 
fascinating, isn't it? Davis face. He's like, I think he looked like Anna right now. I that's think awesome. they're ex- estimating like this to cost like forty million dollars. I think that's the estimate I read. Wait a minute, one one class in in one university is $40 million. Welcome to America, man. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That is insane. If I told you my student loans, you'd be shocked. Yeah, yeah I have, uh, so I have four kids. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm so screwed. You need to uh, find a billionaire. Oh, I'm, I'm calling Mr. Smith. I made the statue. <laughs> I, I'm, my daughter get, enrolled at Morehouse like right away. Well, you got to get like, you know, your kids to be like super athletes or something like that. Well, they're screwed. You know? Yeah. yeah. Well, you would just surely like one out of the four is going to turn out to like just be able to be a billionaire and look out for the other three, right? Well, just, I mean, everything about this story I love, but but student debt and I'm doing this, I'm riffing off the top of my head, but in the U.S. is something like $1.6 trillion. Yep. Dollars. Mm-hmm. It's the second highest debt category after mortgages. Can, can I be yes. the annoying skeptic as usual? There was the face. Uh, and she I leaned was, into the mic. I was Go ahead. When I saw it, I thought, oh, my God, this is so cool. Like, obviously, this is a nice, really cool gesture. Yeah. Like, I can't say that it is. But, you know, it's like a founder of a private equity firm. You know, private equity firms haven't been known for being very philanthropic or very easygoing when they take over companies, you know. And I think, you know, I mean... It would be great if this started a wave of billionaires, people paying people's debt. But you also have to look at what they're... I mean, I, I don't know. What does does his company do behind the scenes in lobbying to make right. sure that those rules don't get changed? So actually, and students okay. don't like get... You know, I mean... I get it. it it's, it's a bit delicate. I mean, obviously, for the people whose debts he's paying, it's amazing. But, you know... Also, like, logistically, like, I was wondering, like, how are you going to actually do it? Like, do you, like, have, I mean, like, I was just thinking about the, op, like, how are you going to do it? But, I mean, going back to the private equity thing, Vista Equity Partners is actually a tech PE firm. So they have uh, traditionally, for the past 20 years, they've been killing it in, like, tech PE. And I uh, was researching it after this came out. It was actually pretty interesting to figure out, like, what kind of companies they're interested in. So, uh, yeah, just wanted to kind of throw that out there. Yeah. It, so, it, is, it is interesting, like you say, it's a, have they acquired all of this money by, you know, raping and pillaging type thing and now it's like again it's a potentially like a CSR thing I, I don't want to like you know no, the guy's just giving away potentially 40 billion uh, 40 million dollars like so I don't want to be like you know too skeptical but it is a strange one isn't it you know yeah. I, like to your point around how they actually calculated it as well like if he's a business guy there's no way I'm not sure I buy the whole nobody knew about this thing because he needed to have at some point of like roughly estimated Probably how much this was. I think yeah. the story, if I, I read it when it came out, so I don't remember. But but I think they were saying like officials at the universities were scrambling to figure out how much everyone had yeah. at this point. Because yeah. if I was one of the students, it's like everything's being paid off. I would have gone out on that absolute lash that night when you. <laughs> I mean, like you go rack up another couple of grand of bills. This guy's gonna. This guy's gonna cover it, right? Yeah. <laughs> I like the stat: about two thirds of seniors at four year colleges in the U.S. hold student loan debt, an average of twenty eight thousand six hundred and fifty. $50 per person. I what, believe it's 44 million folks in the U.S. have student debt as yeah, of right now. I mean, it's something, you know, going back to that point about the city CEO, it's something that literally keeps me up at night, not just because I have it, but because, like, I think it's one of the biggest macroeconomic issues that people under 27 face. I mean, like, it leads to a lot of repercussions I think through people's lives and like you can kind of see it playing out I read a Wall Street Journal article saying that this like generation of older millennials like in their 30s are the poorest generation in like since the Great Depression what why does it cost so much like do you get it, like, there are a lot of theories around it or like what? <laughs> well, it's been an industry that really took off in the yeah past. the the what do you call it the the rate of change in cost is just ridiculous over about the past 
15 years, roughly. But, but are right? the universities making like an insane amount of profit? Or yeah. Are they? Like, I mean, the endowment funds for these colleges like Princeton and Yale, I mean, are insane. I mean, they, they're investing. They're, who do you think is the like LPs for all these VC funds? A lot of them are endowment funds because like that's, you know. Because they've made so much money. They don't like, know what to do with it. What do yeah. we do with all our money? Yeah. That's just awful, isn't it? The, the, one of the best things, I'm sorry, I'm going to make it as dramatic that I, I found that came from the story was an Onion uh, photo oh, story oh, that's what I was that say came too. out yeah. the next day saying Chase Yo giving commencement speech pledges to double whole classes student loan debt. And I thought that was great <laughs> <laughs> because it was like, you know, now, I want to point making out, it more realistic. Yeah. So I looked it up. They sold their uh, uh, student loan business to Navient uh, for $6 billion and two years ago so they don't have one so that's that's it okay but, all right so david just okay. to really enjoy this so i'm talking I'm talking about university and colleges right and the fact that you know there's so much student debt then on the flip side of that um american football and college is a ridiculously profitable yeah. business so clemson they're the man city if you will of american football their coach signed a 10-year 92 million dollar contract Wait, what? Meanwhile, these athletes the don't coach. get paid. Yeah, the, by the athletes way. aren't allowed to take squat anything. The PE teacher got ninety-eight million. <laughs> the, the, pep, the equivalent of pep, but in college for university, got a ten-year, ninety-two million-dollar contract. Wow. So, I mean, send I you, don't even know what to say. Yeah, I mean, I guess we know that that endowment money's going. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, uh, how much do you think Nick Saban uh, at Alabama gets paid? Like these colleges. I mean, this is just college football too. Basketball is an entirely different sport. Yeah. And, Entirely different. Uh, it's a, a, the thing that would be interesting for me, broader than that, is what impact student debt and student loan forgiveness and everything else will have when it comes to the next election cycle here. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Elizabeth Warren has definitely made this part of hers. Bernie, you're in, well, campaign and campaign out, has talked about this because, David, I don't know if you know it, the vast majority of the loans actually come from the federal government here. Okay. Mm-hmm. Again, he, that was the face I wanted. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The so shot, his jaw just dropped. My loans the are table. from like the New Jersey state. Wow. Yeah. And but I so uh Sam to your point, I don't think it's going to matter. I think everyone above 35 is going to be like we don't uh we don't care at all. Um everyone under 35 is going to be like this is great, but it's very unfeasible and we don't think it's going to happen. I mean, that's my belief on it. Uh it sounds great in theory, but I mean, if you want to get rid of my student loans, I'd you know, I'd love it, but <laughs> I don't think I don't think legit I don't think it makes much sense on, to figure out how to go about doing it. Mm. I mean, send America, you, baby. Send, <laughs> send your kids to, to school in Europe. That would be I my mean, advice. This is, I, I do, tried. I they won't move. Damn it, Alex. I do want to point out, this is why I'm so excited about programs like Lambda School. I don't know if you're familiar yeah. with them. I'm I know super hyped about. about it because I think that, A, uh, they're scaling things like coding education at a really rapid rate. And I think uh, things like income share agreements are a really interesting sort of tangential area of financial service, if like fintech, if you think about it, right? Because these are essentially financial contracts. So thinking about you know things like banking products for ISAs and things like that are really interesting down the line. So if you want to know where my head's at. <laughs> so let's talk about those future students and all the work they're doing around facial recognition and biometrics. Our next story, biometric backlash. This is, comes from payments.com. A biometric backlash is underway here in the U.S. San Francisco recently became the first major U.S. city to enact a ban on facial recognition technology. The ban does not apply to consumers, but only for use of facial recognition technology by city workers. The rule also calls on city agencies to submit their surveillance technology policies so the public can review them. The Microsoft CEO supports regulation of this technology. So very interesting to see a lot of regulation, especially in California, starting to kick off and all this. Um, 
I, I'd say one thing that I thought was very interesting. We were in the lobby waiting to come up, and David, you were talking about um, in, in London, I believe, on the tube, being able to track yeah, uh, there Wi-Fi was users. something that came out this week about um, the London Underground is going to start using the Wi-Fi, you know, your device jumping on Wi-Fi to actually track you, which I'm like, oh, well, that's not you a good news story. Switch it off yeah. from the settings, because if you switch it off from the little drop-down, it doesn't switch off. What, no, the Wi-Fi or the, the tracking? You can do it from the, the Oyster card. You can do it from the Oyster card, too, already, right? You can see. Uh, so I've been, I went to an event recently because the MTA is getting rid of the turnstiles and adding, like, uh, uh, Apple Pay and NFC payments. He's talking about the New York subway. Yeah, sorry, uh, the New York sub subway system, and they're really excited about it because they're like, oh, we can figure out, we can get really interesting data, we can like start tracking like where, like what, uh, like the volume of subway lines and things like that. And I'm like, so you can basically figure out where I'm going. Like, yeah, of course. I was like, God, that sucks. Um, <laughs> I mean, New York. I mean, it's interesting because New York is basically the opposite of San Francisco. You, they don't even publicize when they make bio, uh, you know, bio. Uh, Bio, like biometric, like security related uh, features and things like that. So they have facial recognition in the, in New York already, pretty much. I think it was a motherboard article that said like New York is really behind on like regulation around doing facial recognition, and I think they're at the point where they don't even have to say if they're doing it or not, like around biometric yeah, security. Yeah, I think this is another one of those where it's, it's just interesting, especially like with California and cities that are kind of driving this, right? We're not talking about anything at a national level within the federal government, one, because we can't get anything done, period. But then we hear every story about China, right? And your your social scores and all the tracking that happens there and the facial recognition that goes on. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's not a lot in this that actually says why, um, because, and I, and I don't really see, but again, it's like given, given, I would have thought, I would have thought America would be like really up for this. You know what I mean? Like actually being, I mean, up, I am. especially yeah. San Francisco, because they probably came up with it to begin yeah. with. Yeah. To be honest, like I've, I've really switched my philosophy on data over the past like year. I'm like, I'm pretty much accepted that all my data is out there. I just wish there was like an off button when I want to just do some like, you know, be on, be by myself. I like at this point, like I'm you pretty like, sh- when I want to do something weird. Then, yeah, right. like when I just want to like be on Reddit, you know, like just like it just. Yeah, I'm curious, Anna, from from your standpoint, because you're you truly are a global citizen, right? I mean, you've lived, you are. Come on, you lived all over the world. Um, not she, Asia, not Asia. So that well, makes I'm me I'm a sorry. lot less. Oh, South so America, one, Europe, one of the continent. North America, jeez. <laughs> And Africa horrible. also. So I, I oh think I'm God. missing a big. But let's go on. Yeah. Where, where did you live in Africa? Sorry, I, I didn't live in oh, Africa. Yeah. Okay, okay. So you know, yeah, that's a it's a pretty big. It's on the list, but still, you got you got three out of seven. That's pretty good. Um, your take on something like this? Because I'm curious when it comes to privacy and and government and, or even tech oversight. Are you apathetic? Is it just too late? I mean, I think it's just too late. I mean, and you're talking about biometrics and not giving it the government. When I come in, I put my thumbprints like they have it, you know, and I, I mean, yeah. it's interesting because, you know, you, you, you think, well, I have nothing to hide. I'm not doing anything bad. But but, you know, what if like governments go rogue and then suddenly they have all your information? Like, I think it's those it's problems that you don't worry about until they become a problem. But I think I think it's too it's too late. I mean, yeah, like I, Apple has so uh, like Apple has my it. face. Like, every, like I mean, it's just everywhere. I mean, I, I don't know if you can put um, everything back to yeah, the way it was. Probably not. But I think trying to, to to find ways. Certainly, I think there is more appetite to to be able to at least know what's out there and mm-hmm. control it. So I think. There's probably business opportunities to help people just figure out what what they have out there and 
protect themselves. Mm-hmm. I guess the thesis right? on uh, paying users for data is something that Facebook looked into. They were yeah. paying users twenty bucks a month for just. I mean, this is a little much. It was like a root access to their phone, which is absurd. Uh, yeah. yeah, and Anna, kids, there was the face. Yeah, I love when you do literally, that. and like they were oh. targeting like thirteen to like twenty year olds. Basically, it was a TechCrunch, a really well done TechCrunch article. Thirteen year olds. Yep. Jesus. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm suddenly not liking it. Yeah, but yeah. in theory, the thesis around paying users for data has been validated because they were they, out, they got a lot of users out of it. You know. Yeah, no, I, mean, I mean, probably a good amount of data. How many of us have randomly used airport Wi-Fi and signed off, basically giving away your children to just access Wi-Fi for twenty minutes? Right. Exactly. So, so if you give people a good a freeze and they'll do it but I, I think with this though it's like um, uh, to your point Anna it's like actually I can see a million reasons why this is a sensible thing to do and actually like you know stopping bad guys doing bad things seems like a probably good use case of this and actually you kind of find if you've got an opt out you're probably finding all of the people who are really shady are the people yeah. who are opting out yeah, yeah. so it's almost <laughs> like hey uh, you're creating a list of shady people by letting <laughs> them opt out but um, I think the cat's out of the bag on this one though it's like whether or not we now say this is a bad thing or a good thing we've probably already lost all of that privacy that we thought we have anyway and this is only the stuff that the government's actually telling you you're doing not wanting to start sounding like the x-files but well, i uh, like that as a segue the cat's out of the bag this is a horrible segue by the way our final story <laughs> monzo rockets to two million customers way to go fat cats we love monzo i think we give them a shout out continuously i Somebody see that hasn't me. changed since yeah. episode number <laughs> yeah i i uh chris from uh button we were we were on a rooftop bar uh last night and he goes how's the monzo show going I'm like, no it's fintech insiders <laughs> shut up um but monzo hey they got a reason to celebrate and i think it's interesting based on some of the earlier conversations we had right before we started recording they've hit uh they busted through the two million customer mark it comes just over two years since they achieved its banking license eight months after surpassing the one million account mark which i think is an interesting metric there and i think more importantly they say they're currently signing up thirty-five thousand new customers every week Already looking beyond the UK as the bids to export a successful model to other countries, which I believe includes the US, US, opened up an office in New York. Um, In April, reports surfaced the Challenger was lining up a hundred million pound investment for an American investor, which would raise its valuation above two billion and lead to a US launch. So I think two points here. The first one is that's two million UK customers. I think in the US, we'd kind of shrug at that number. David, that's that's pretty good from a UK standpoint, isn't it? Two I million? Mean, I mean, yeah, it's a big, big proportion of the market, really. You know, if you think that, uh, you know, New Bank was saying was five million five, in Brazil, right. having two million in the UK is a pretty, pretty big deal, right? Yeah. That, I was genuinely impressed with this. I was really impressed with the growth rate over the past eight months. I think yeah. that's the really interesting part. Going from one million to two million in eight months is not easy at all. <laughs> How many of those are paychecks? I always come back to that question with these. Apparently about 30%. Yeah, that's what, oh, that's um, what they said. So but, what does that mean? Like if it's the primary account. Oh, okay, gotcha. Like but one one thing I wanted yeah. to ask you guys is like, I don't remember. I'm sure it was someone from 11FS, but I'm not sure. But they pointed out the fact that, you know, lots of other banks have like someone who's not, uh, it's not their primary account. But can you live off just that? Like, do you as, think, in, as, an as in, can, can you be a bank whose pr- customers primarily don't use it as, as a main account? Do I you think, think long term or not? Like, that's what I'm wondering. I, I mean, it's, um, it's not necessarily, I think, where your paycheck gets paid. It's like what you use on a day to day basis. And the, you know, the premise of what they're doing with, um, you know, creating that banking marketplace, actually, you have to be using it, you have to be there. It, it is, it's, it's pseudo universal banking, you know, they want to be able to sell you insurance or other things or down the line. And if you're, you've got their engagement, then you will do, you know, what I really loved about this. So it was um, Eileen Burbage, who's the 
Or is she the fintech envoy for, for the UK? She's is she American, an investor also? By the way, that's my favorite Yeah, part. so Passion Capital uh, was one of the early investors mm-hmm. in, in uh, yeah. Mondo, as it was at the time. Um, but if you go and read some of those tweets, they're really entertaining. Kind of you roll back to 2015, you had Valentin Stauff, who's the CEO of Number 26, uh, basically saying, yeah, there's nothing new in here. Go check out Number 26. <laughs> and just there's like... Uh, sort of uh, 400 uh, tweets of like trolling between all of the different people so um, just turns out Twitter it can come back to you at some point <laughs> I'm it? generally I'm generally pretty bearish I, I saw the uh, US expansion I'm generally pretty bearish on foreign uh, digital banks coming to the US I think the US market is incredibly competitive and getting in, it's even competitive for people that are here right I am kind of excited for Monzo. I think they, if they can be creative and really think about it from a very creative outside the box perspective, they might have a shot. I, if, it, I was, if I was going to bet on one probably foreign fintech, it'd probably be them. So, uh, Anna, I'm going to give you the, I've called you Anna, Anna, and It's the same. Anna. It's Anna, so it's, yeah, it's, it's completely different. <laughs> yeah. so it's fine. It's really no different. So I'm either. Anna's yeah. fine. It's no different between either David or me hosting. The names are going to be wrong. <laughs> They're going to be wrong. Yeah. But I'm going to give you the last word on this. Yeah. So when you look at this, and you know, again, N26, Revolut, Monzo coming in there, even we got Chime here. Think they got legs? I, I, I have. I'm, 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 I'm really curious to see because you know banking is so different in the U.S. and like. The appetite, what people are interested in is are just completely different. So I guess it depends how much they want to launch a different product from what they have no. uh, from what they have in, in yeah. Europe. Like, I mean, you could see Ian was super excited about like rewards and like, and I mean, aside from the color of the card, which I think they've got nailed, like you'd, you'd, that, that'd be fine. But there's just consumers here are very interested, are interested in something very different. Mm-hmm. It's just a different market. And there's so many banks um, and the big banks, they're not that terrible with their apps, right? And they have great cards yeah. and so forth. So it's it's just really competitive. My, my question is like, so you're building this bank in Europe and that's already like super hard, right? Does it make sense to move to such a massive market? Like when you've not, I mean, you're doing well, but you're not like a household name, right? Yeah, they they could have so much more to still do in home markets without kind of coming here. I think it's going to be like, do you think a a British brand will be able to kind of like actually, you know, didn't turn out well last time, did it really? Like the whole sort of Brits are coming from Europe thing. It's Mm, not. I don't think that sentiment really is here anymore. I mean, I wouldn't care if it's a British bank or if anything might be cooler, you know? But but I think maybe New York is quite, you know, we're we're in a fintech bubble. New York's in a very international bubble. Yeah. Um, You've heard that. Zoe, we've seen that as we walked around, right? And you've heard people say New York is not a great representation of the rest of the U.S. <laughs> yeah, but that's where <laughs> these users are predominantly located. That is, and that's it, the fact. That's true. And Between so, New York, San Francisco. Yeah, New York, San Francisco, that's L.A. Are. Uh, you know, that, and so if you target, it, it's all about really who you target when you arrive to this other, you know, expand your market. If you focus on the right demos, you could make a, a decent banking product. If you focus on the Midwest, I mean, that's going to be inherently difficult. Where do you think Chime users are? I don't know. Uh, San Francisco, New York? I asked them. Have you asked them that? I, I don't remember. But same, same thing. It's all the same. It's going to be San Francisco, yeah. West Coast, around that, and yeah. maybe New York. And that's yeah. Same with I Bank mean, Mobile. I mean, uh, all these, and like that's the next uh, big stage of growth, I think, getting out of those like big metropolitan cities and figuring out how to acquire customers in like you know non-traditional regions like Kansas or Kentucky, things mm. like that. Acorns right. um, actually sponsors a NASCAR uh, vehicle and team uh, as a way to kind of get into that demo. They do? Yeah. 
All right, I got something to Google after this on my way to the airport. And speaking of on my way to the airport, we need to wrap up this show, folks. So we got to face <laughs> New York traffic at three o'clock. We want to thank our guests so much for coming. Ian, where's the best place for people to find out about you? Uh, probably my Twitter account, Ian Carr underscore. And Anna, Anna, and Anna, where's the best place to learn about you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, on on Twitter as well. It's just my name and my last name. Two or of, on Reuters.com. And I will say two of my favorite Twitter accounts to follow within this space because it's it's actually just not funny pictures of squirrels it's good content that that could put that's out there david um if you'd like more funny pictures of squirrels yes. head over to uh <laughs> david Brewer on twitter that's true <laughs> or or celebrating that norwich is in the premiership yeah. so folks what do you think of today's show let us know at twitter at fintech insiders or email us at podcast at 11fs.com and don't forget if you love the show be sure to leave us a review that would be five stars if you're not gonna leave a five-star review don't leave a review thanks to those who have done this already we love reading them and we do read them find us on twitter instagram youtube and periscope for more content including fintech insider on air and our new show showcasing pulse called home screen thanks for listening see you later